Hello and welcome to another episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. With my co-host Eric Raskin, I am Kira Mulvaney. Um, Eric, if I may, I'd like to uh, actually switch sports on us for a hmm. second. Okay. Um, uh, I don't know if you follow tennis closely at all. A bit. And that close, a bit. Closely would be a stretch, but uh, I follow, okay. yeah. Okay, you follow. Um, i got to admit, that there have been many times over the years when I wish I'd picked tennis as a vocation rather than boxing you know it's got that same one-on-one -on -one competition the combination of mental and physical strength but none of the brain damage um anyway uh there was an amazing result in the u.s open uh women's side uh this weekend uh, 18 year old brit emma raducanu uh competing in only her second grand slam her fourth top level pro tournament um entering as a qualifier and winning 10 matches without dropping a set to become u.s open champion uh, amazingly Earlier this year, she had no idea if she would even be a tennis pro. She was planning on going to college and studying finance and even took, I believe, something like 16 months off prior to Wimbledon to concentrate on her studies. Um, all of which makes me realize somewhere out there, there is probably an 18-year-old who right now is thinking, microphone? What's a microphone? <laughs> but who, come fall, will have recorded their first couple of podcasts and by end of the year, we'll have our jobs. So there you go. That's my upbeat thought to start today. Uh, well, you know, uh, there there might be a kid out there uh, who's ahead of the curve, even on that curve that you just set. Um, I can think of someone who's pretty close to uh, taking our jobs because clearly you didn't listen to the two episodes of Raskins on Wrestling that I recorded in 2016 with my son when he was six oh, uh, during the That's brief right. phase when we were watching <laughs> WWE together. Uh, he's almost 12 now. And... Um, you know, if, if you don't think my master plan is Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Raskin just a few more years from now, <laughs> you are underestimating uh, how sinister I can be, as well as my dedication to nepotism. Um, but uh, but speaking of the tennis and uh, Raducanu, uh, shout out to my brother Dave, uh, speaking of other Raskins. Uh, Dave follows tennis much more closely than I do these days. He bet on Raducanu at very long odds at the outset of the tournament. He bet he bet on a few women in the draw, so it's not it's not quite as phenomenal a call as it might sound. It's not like he just picked the one; he picked a few. But still, great uh, great win for him there. And and meanwhile, uh, I got Daniil Medvedev at five and a half to one before the tournament. We're recording this early in the day Sunday, mm -hmm. so listeners will know by the time they hear this on Monday whether or not I was right to guess that Djokovic comes up uh, a step short of the Grand Slam. but uh, And this has wow. been uh, Showtime Tennis with Raskin and Mulvaney. Thanks for <laughs> tuning in. There you go. Little do you realize that your cunning plan of making the Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Raskin will soon become Showtime Boxing with Raskin Jr. all by himself. <laughs> I don't know if he's ready to do solo potting. I, he, I, I think he still needs a partner. Now, it could be you. It could remain Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney and just switch out the Raskins. That's a possibility. I don't know. I, I see a mean streak in young Eli. There's... I don't know. I see a, a regicide ahead, as it were. So, yeah, there you go. I don't even know what regicide is, but I'll, uh, I'll Google that when we're done recording. <laughs> All right. Um... So, look, folks, last week's podcast, we admit, was a bit of a downer, uh, thanks largely to a series of depressing news items. Uh, this week will be worse. Um, <laughs> yeah. Coming up on the podcast, we'll be joined by Keith Eidek of Boxing Scene. He's going to help us hopefully make some kind of sense of the mess that boxing appears to be in right now, even by the sport's own standards. Um, but first, let's dive into that mess ourselves as we look at the latest news, recap the weekend's events. Beginning with the abomination that was Saturday night's Triller event in Hollywood, Florida, as 58-year-old Evander Holyfield was dropped and stopped inside a round by Vitor Belfort and Anderson, Anderson the Spider Silva knocked out MAGA favorite Tito Ortiz, also in one round, surprisingly not prompting the crowd to invade the ring in an attempt to establish Ortiz as the true winner. <laughs> um, the whole thing appears to have been as awful as advertised and expected. And maybe we are doing our listeners a disservice I didn't watch it, and I know you didn't either. Right. Do you have any regrets about that decision at all? No. Not, not only did I uh, not watch, I didn't even follow along on Twitter. Uh, in fact, I wasn't even awake at the time the main event started. Uh, as you know, Karen, I've been battling a bit of a cold this weekend, uh, and we had people over Saturday night. So get, get a load of this washed move. At about 9 <laughs> o'clock, our guests hadn't left yet. 
and I was exhausted and not feeling great, I excused myself and changed into my pajamas, and I was in bed nice. before they'd left my house. There were eight-year-old kids over who were still going strong, and I was D-U-N done. Uh, anyway, uh, I got up Sunday morning and saw the various quote-unquote highlights on social media, and... Honestly, I have regrets about watching those, um, yeah. <laughs> at least the Evander clip. Uh, I, I kind of wish I hadn't seen that. There are two silver linings to that fight. One, it was over so quickly that Evander couldn't really get hurt, mostly just embarrassed. Uh, mm -hmm. And two, I believe they decided officially it's an exhibition. So a KO loss to Vitor Belfort will not appear on his official record, okay. thank goodness. Um, I also saw the clip of Silva KOing Ortiz. It didn't look like the kind of punch that should knock someone cold, but again, you get in the ring old and washed, and I guess it doesn't take much. Um, yeah. From what I know of Tito Ortiz, he's a bit of an asshole, so perhaps there was some perverse pleasure for some in watching that. Uh, I saw nothing of the David Hay fight that was on the card, uh, and I should have put the word fight in quotes there, um, or of the one real boxing match on the card uh, with Joan O'Carroll. Ultimately... I am delighted to have gotten a good night's sleep and to have put no dollars in Triller's pocket for this. What about you? Yeah, yeah look, no regrets here at all. Um, I I wouldn't have watched it were it as planned De La Hoya in L.A. rather than Holyfield at a MAGA rally. And <laughs> I certainly wasn't going to watch it once Orange Mussolini was involved in one of the commentary <laughs> right. streams. Um, nor, it seems, are we the only ones to have zero regrets about this. Uh, we have a multi-way tie for Tweet of the Week this oh, week. Okay. Uh, all responses to Saturday Night's awfulness. Uh, we lead with our friend Tris Dixon, former editor of Boxing News, who tweeted, anyone who profited from that last night should feel disgusted today. If you lined their pockets, carried their advertisements, were in their camps, enabled it in any way, I hope you feel great because you're all part of the problem. Uh, hashtag Holyfield Belfort. Another friend, Dan Rayfield, added, if we haven't hit bottom yet in boxing, Lord help us when we do. Um, uh, a fellow called uh, Jer at Jeremy Foley, who I know, retweeted a tweet from at Eric Magraken, who I do not know, who said simply, combat sports are at a stage where the regulators need to be regulated. Mm -hmm. um, yes, and indeed. Congratulations to Florida for really florida up what had already <laughs> promised to be an embarrassing event, from approving the fight when California wouldn't, to hosting what was supposed to be a fight night, but turned out to be, as noted, something of a MAGA rally, and for the fact that even the moment of silence to honor the 20th anniversary of 9-11 was a farce. Uh, Dan retweeting at Powerful OD, who noted, even a moment of silence for 9-11 isn't enough for Florida to shut the fuck up. Um, those who missed it, apparently, as soon as the moment of silence was asked for, somebody started making a noise. Everybody else started telling them to shut up. Then people started shouting at the other people who were <sighs> telling her to shut up to shut up. There was no moment of silence. That's all I got to say about Saturday night, Eric. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I think. Wow. I, uh, I I had not heard about that moment of silence, but it sounds about right for what I presumed the crowd to be. And as long as you brought up the, the Florida of it all, I, I had a, a weird thought about all this. H hear me out. Uh, it's perhaps a bit of a reach, uh, and I should warn listeners, it injects my personal politics into the conversation. If you just love Donald Trump, if something radicalized you and you're a part of that rather large cult, you are going to want me to shut the hell up. So be it. Here's my thought. Trump being president in 2020, when COVID arrived, is perhaps responsible for this fight landing in Florida and him being in the right place to make a paycheck broadcasting it. Um, Trump's substantial dismantling of the pandemic response team and his general downplaying of the virus certainly aided its initial spread in America. Okay, that, that's mostly in the past now. Mm -hmm. We're now at this other phase where it's the Delta variant. However, had Trump not created this mindset among millions and millions of Americans that they shouldn't trust the vaccines, that COVID is no worse than the flu, that masks are for wusses, the current situation with Delta wouldn't be as bad as it is. We can disagree on the degrees, and I'm not saying with a competent president, COVID never arrives here and Delta never arrives here. I'm not going that far. But what I'm saying is that if not for Trump and Trumpism, I fully believe the pandemic would be less raging than it currently is. And in that alternate reality, there's some higher percentage chance that Oscar De La Hoya is never exposed to it. And if Oscar doesn't get COVID, this fight is in L.A., no Holyfield, no Trump, just a garden variety boxing freak show instead of the boxing freak show to end all boxing freak shows. Um, 
I realize some percentage of our listeners are cursing me out right now, and that's fine. Curse away. But I do believe in this direct line I've drawn. Maybe it's not a solid line. Maybe it's a dotted line. But it's a line, baby. Uh, what do you think, Kieran? Well, Am I on to something, or have I lost if, my mind? If, uh, well, the two aren't mutually exclusive, of course. <laughs> Good point. But, um, but yeah, look, if we could, he could actually draw a line where he's responsible for, for what happened on Saturday night. Third impeachment. That's just, I mean, that's all it is. <laughs> Any, screw this whole, like, Ukraine business. I mean, screw, you know, January 6th. This is it right here. Uh, yeah, look, I, uh, you know, I, I hate to extrapolate from single events the... There was going to be COVID, like you said. There was COVID without him. Even without his bungled, immoral response, there would have been a Delta variant. And there would have been breakthrough cases. Although, yes, that variant would have had a much smaller pool of victims. I think I would completely agree with you if Oscar had been one of those who had foregone the vaccination right. and tried snorting a cocktail of hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. <laughs> right. But um, uh, that, you know, the fact that the state in which the fight was actually held now has more COVID cases than earlier in the year before there was a vaccine. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's on him and on Ron DeSantis and on the people who, were, if they're still listening, just screaming uh, at us. But, um, yeah, the fact that the fight was attended primarily, it seems, by a certain demographic and may have become a super spreader event as a result. Also on him. But, yes, we're uh, we're perhaps straying far too far from our mandate and hemorrhaging even more listeners. So, um <laughs> Let's get back to everything that's specifically wrong in the world of boxing, shall we? All right, all right, let's do that, yeah. Uh, and and that mess in Florida was not the only controversial fight card to take place this weekend. On Friday, on ESPN+, Plus, Oscar Valdez retained his super featherweight belt by unanimous decision over Robinson Concesao. The controversy here, as we discussed on last week's pod, was that it was revealed a little over a week before the fight that Valdez had tested positive for the substance fentermine, but was not subject to any meaningful sanctions and was permitted to go ahead with the fight. From the opening bell, Valdez did not have an easy time with Conceição, and I was immediately wondering if all the distractions, all the interviews mm. he had to do about the positive tests, all the criticism he was facing, if that was affecting his performance. Of course, it also probably had plenty to do with Conceição's longer reach and quick hands and smart tactics. Whatever the case, Valdez seemed to fall behind early, but in the middle rounds, started closing the distance, clawing his way back into the fight, then pulled out a dominant final round to secure the victory by scores of 115-112 twice and 117-110. I had it closer than any of the judges at just 114-113. The difference on my card was a point deduction when Conceição tapped Valdez on the back of the head. Just tapped him, which I certainly felt merited no more than a warning. And that deduction was made more frustrating when Valdez did not lose a point for a more egregious, if unintentional, rabbit punch a couple of rounds later. Anyway, with the win, Valdez moves to 30-0 and with 23 knockouts, while Conceição falls to 16-1 and with 8 KOs. Kieran, how did you score it? What did you think about the fight? And do you have any final thoughts on the whole saga? I actually scored it 114-113 Conceição. Oh, okay. Um, but, but it was one of those scores with which I wasn't particularly happy, even as I was even as I was you know jotting the scores down I, I had a feeling at the end of it i thought mm, before the scores are out mm, if i were actually a judge i'd be getting roasted for this score o- although as it turned out i think qu- quite a lot of folks watching the fight were of in that 14 13 either way kind of score i think mm-hmm. although pre- primarily towards your score um look I, th- I thought he won three of the first four i thought he won 10 and 11 cleanly and there were some other close rounds in there i, d- I did agree though with tim bradley and andre ward that to some extent, Conceição allowed it to be closer, allowed Valdez to get back into it and yeah. ultimately, you know, sort of control the back half of the fight. Um, but to be fair, you know, Valdez was doing a solid job of walking him down, of closing the distance, of putting the pressure on. But Conceição had that jab and right hand working so well early on, um, even if Valdez w- was doing well to, to block a lot of the punches early. But he did seem, Conceição, to ease up. He, he seemed to fall in love a little bit too early with what he was doing. As if he was somehow unaware of the fact that popular hometown fighters tend to have hometown advantages and you have to do more than just enough uh, um, to catch the breaks. So, yeah, and even as I scored the fight with that great conviction in his favor, it did, it did feel as if Conceição was down the stretch boxing not to lose rather than fighting to win. Mm. Um, 
So, yeah, so I thought 115, 112 was actually a, a perfectly reasonable score, even though I had it 14, 13 the other way, because there were some close rounds. And it did feel as if it was in the balance going into the final round. And, and Valdez clearly won that round. Uh, I did think the point reduction was absurd. And I thought 117, 110 was not much better. Mm-hmm. But this was actually as bad as I've seen Valdez. Um, in all his various iterations, be it as a technical boxer, as a Gatti-esque warrior, as a dominant fighter, uh, and I, I don't know, like you, I don't know if it was Kansai's style, his physical advantages, or the pressure of the previous week, or all of the above. But he escapes here. Uh, next thing he has to do is, is restore some of the credibility and luster that he lost, um, you know, with, with the test rather than what happened in the ring. I, I don't know how he does that. I think he needs to just keep his head down, make himself open to the most extensive testing possible mm-hmm. for future fights, pass all of it. Uh, be open and honest and not overly defensive. But also, you know, rely on the fact that boxing fans forget and boxing fans forgive, as witnessed by the reaction to the man who trains with, and it was ringside for this fight, who failed the test and was suspended for it three years ago. So. Right. Yeah, although it's, it's kind of interesting, you're obviously alluding to uh, Canelo Alvarez, uh, that, that Valdez's situation here kind of brought canelo's situation which most people had swept under the rug at this point kind of brought it back to the fore a a bit um i just want to weigh in quickly on valdez just as a as a fighter obviously he's a good fighter um but let's remember how many times he struggled against b-level opponents got knocked down had to rally back and then he had that sensational win over miguel burchelt and in our minds that night he made the leap you know now we were thinking he was close to a pound for pound level talent it might just be that that performance was the outlier and yeah. he is kind of who we thought he was before that. And that's in combination with Kansai Sal being a little better than we realized, of course. Yeah, yeah, fair comment. Um, there was some controversy in the co-main event too. Not in the result. Jose Alberto Lopez thoroughly beat up heralded prospect Gabriel Flores Jr. in a super featherweight contest, handing the youngster his first defeat by a unanimous decision. The controversy is in the fact that it went to a decision. It was such a complete beating there was a strong case to be made it should have been stopped any time in the final couple rounds. If, if not before, there were plenty of people in real time online urging it to be stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think, Eric? Did, did Flores' father and trainer let him down here? Um, even at the end, he was insisting his son wasn't actually hurt, that he was just tired. Was this one of those cases where having a father in the corner can be counterproductive because they can be overprotective? And should the referee have stepped in here to take the decision away from the corner? Yeah, I definitely would have liked to have seen it stopped earlier. And and of course, they were trying to stop it in the final seconds, right. but the ref didn't see the commission representative on the ring apron. Um, I get it from the perspective of, of Gabriel Flores Jr. He, he's near the finish line. Yep. He really doesn't want a KO loss on his record. So he's arguing with his dad and the ref and everyone else not to stop it. But it shouldn't be his call. He was taking a lot of punishment the last couple of rounds. And importantly... He had no chance of winning at that point. He had almost nothing left in the tank. He's not a puncher. If he came into this 20-0 with 18 KOs instead of 7 KOs, maybe I'd view it differently. He hadn't shown any ability to discourage Lopez. So, yeah, this fight needed to be stopped. It is an argument against fathers training their sons, although... That goes both ways. We, we've seen plenty of unrelated trainers mm-hmm. being more brave mm-hmm. and less protective than they should be. Um, it was interesting to see it juxtaposed against the previous fight, uh, Junto Nakatani against Angel Acosta, where Acosta has this badly broken nose and it was gushing blood. And Tim Bradley is on the broadcast saying you shouldn't stop a fight over a bloody nose. Mm. But at a certain point, why let the fight go on? Um, just, just interesting to get two fights in a row with some debate over whether and when to stop it. And I thought both fights went on about one round longer than I would have liked, which is yet another sign that I've gone soft. Um, Two two quick things to note. Um, I want to make sure we don't exit this conversation without having given credit to Jose Alberto Lopez for fighting a hell of a fight, beating up a heavily favored prospect. And second... Credit to Flores for the way he handled the interview afterward. Agreed. Praising his opponent, noting that his opponent had moved up in weight and still kicked his ass. Um, It's tough when you're a prideful fighter. Um, Flores, I thought, really showed how to be prideful and respectful of the other guy at the same time. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, Okay, before we move on to Keith, uh, let's look at some of the news. 
the main event is yet more COVID cancellations and postponements. We've already had, among others, Teofimo Lopez, George Cambosis, and Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder 3 postponed because of Lopez and Fury testing positive. The reason we had the Holyfield Belfort situation, as we just talked about, was uh, De La Hoya testing positive. Uh, and in just the last week, the September 18th Showtime Championship boxing card, which we have been so looking forward to uh, and had anticipated previewing this week, uh, was postponed after Brandon Figueroa, who is scheduled to face off against Stephen Fulton in a mouthwatering 122-pound clash, tested positive, which explains why he kept ignoring our phone requests for an interview this <laughs> yeah. week. Uh, and then subsequently, Chocolatito Gonzalez also went down with COVID, uh, causing the postponement of his October 16th rubber match with Juan Francisco Estrada. Uh, Eric, um, 18 months after the pandemic first took hold, more than six months after the first vaccines became widely available, at least here in the United States, cases are actually increasing both in the US uh, or some of the United States. And it seems in boxing. Is it fair to say, at the risk of losing yet more <laughs> listeners, that although there'll always be outlier cases such as Oscars, there's a simple solution to this issue, both inside and outside of boxing, and it rhymes with Maxine. <laughs> uh, yes and no. Um, in the pre-Delta era, I would have said yes, there is a simple solution sure. and it rhymes with Maxine. With Delta, obviously being vaccinated helps a lot. Makes you less likely to get it, less likely to spread it, extremely unlikely to be hospitalized. But even if we could convince or force every fighter and cornerman and sparring partner to get the vaccine, we still would be having the occasional positive test for a fighter, I believe. We need to do more than vaccines. Vaccines are the clear first step, the most important step, but fighters need to make efforts to close their training camps, limit their contacts. Yep. The pandemic isn't over just because you've had enough of it and you've decided it's over. It's still here. And, and boxers and everybody else need to accept that for now during this present wave and make adjustments to their protocols. Look, all this news of fights falling out, it sucks. The, the last two you mentioned, Figueroa Fulton and Chocolatito mm. Estrada 3, those were some of the highlights of the schedule. And now we have yeah. to wait and it stinks. It's fascinating to note that Early in the pandemic, around June 2020, when sports were trying to figure out how to return, boxing was better situated than almost any sport to get up and running again. You only need two people to make a fight. You don't need as many test kits. It's not like a football team testing 100 people every couple of days or whatever. Mm -hmm. So boxing returned before the NBA, MLB, etc. You could make a smallish bubble at a place like Mohegan Sun for a week and make a fight card happen. Now, a little over a year later, boxing is suffering worse than just about any other sport. And I'm thinking about why. I think there are two main reasons. One, whereas one prominent NFL player or baseball player or whatever testing positive doesn't mean the game is canceled in boxing. You know, one of the two headliners tests positive and that's that. Scrap it and reschedule it. And two... Those other sports have governing bodies, oversight, strongly right. encouraging vaccines and putting clearly spelled out protocols in place. Boxing is the Wild West. I'm not the first to say that. Sometimes that's a feature. Sometimes it's a bug. It's a bug right now. Uh, with the exception of Fury Wilder, where vaccine mandates have been instated for this uh, rescheduled date, most of these fights aren't being policed. Everyone's off on their own in their training camps, and one fight after another keeps falling out. It's incredibly frustrating. I hope boxers and promoters have, by now, gotten the wake-up call they need, and this will be the worst of it. But this is boxing. Can never assume that we've hit the bottom yet. Yeah, indeed. <sighs> All right. A few undercard news items for you here, Kieran. Clarissa Shields has signed with Sky Sports, and as a result, she will appear on cards promoted by Boxer with two X's, the outfit we mentioned in last week's news. The aforementioned Teofimo Lopez-George Cambosos fight has changed dates again and will now take place on Monday, October 4th, still at the Hulu Theater at Madison Square Garden. That's the fifth date so far for that fight, and <laughs> they moved off a Tuesday to avoid a conflict with a possible Yankees playoff game. But instead, they're going up against Monday Night Football. So interesting ah. choice there. <laughs> um, okay. And in much more serious news, 
former featherweight titleist Juan Manuel Lopez is under house arrest in Caguas, Puerto Rico, after being arrested and charged with seven counts of aggravated assault and physical and psychological abuse. Kieran, anything to expand or opine on there? So Clarissa is clearly trying to find the platform that will provide her with, with the opportunity to get the exposure and the income and, and the matchup she deserves. You know, like for all her achievements in the NFL, you know, two years ago that uh, she was somewhat unstoppable, just racking up uh, achievement after achievement. She, she clearly feels her career, her boxing career at least is, is stagnating a bit and she needs to find other challenges and, and places where she's going to be better appreciated. And she may well find that on the other side of the pond. Uh, one big feature of this deal is that Savannah Marshall, who's the undefeated Brit, who's the last and only person to defeat her back in the amateur, she's also signed to box. Um, <laughs> so that could potentially set up one of the biggest clashes in women's boxing. That could be like that big next big date that the, the Clarissa is obviously looking for. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll wait before I buy any tickets for Lopez Cambosos at this rate, but, um, but we'll see. Um, as for Lopez, uh, these charges are serious. They make for unpleasant reading. Um, they stem from four alleged incidents involving his former girlfriend, Andrea Ojeda Cruz, who posted photos on Instagram of the physical abuse she says she suffered, um, which she attributed primarily to Lopez's alcohol abuse. Mm. After this came out, another former partner came out and said yeah there was no physical abuse but there was a lot of psychological abuse and there had earlier been other charges that ended up being dropped because uh, the person involved didn't want to testify uh, all of which does not look good obviously we need to let the legal process play out but right. if found guilty Lopez could potentially serve up to 21 years in jail hmm. all right joining us now to try and make some sense of the present state of boxing, such as it is. We are joined again by our friend, Boxing Scenes, Keith Eidek. And Keith, before we get started, I know you just turned 50, so welcome oh. to the 50s club. Oh, um, <laughs> there is a lot to look forward to, like colonoscopies. Yes, yes. So uh, there you go. Wow. Good it's, luck. It's, uh, yeah. Wonderful time to be alive. A wonderful time to be alive, indeed. I appreciate it, though. It's uh, It doesn't sound right quite yet, but boy, wow. Sneaks up on you, you know? Sneaks <laughs> you'll up get, on you. You'll get oh. used to it. Eventually, you'll be like, uh, a few years from now, you'll think of 50 as young. So well, uh, I'm, I'm, defi I'm definitely cranky enough to be in my 50s. That's that's for sure, you know? <laughs> well, uh, Eric's been cranky enough to be in his 50s since he was 30. So. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, 50 is the new 30 or whatever they say or right. uh, whatever, right? right. <laughs> well, uh, congrats, I guess, uh, Keith, on the, the I'm milestone. I'm still alive. Birthday. I guess that's a good... That's just, yeah. that's, cause to celebrate i guess yeah, right you there know? you go unless you read the box uh, and unlike the rest of us maybe, maybe you don't have to worry know. about turning gray exactly <laughs> I did, yeah no hey i've solved that problem years ago you know <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's uh, let's move on to similarly uh, unthrilling topics. Uh, Saturday's Triller card, uh, which is uh, uh, I know you had to uh, actually watch that, which is something Kieran and I are delighted to have avoided. Uh, quick factual que question to start is just uh, which commentary feed did you get, Keith? Well, I had had probably enough of Donald Trump's Trump's alternative commentary over the last six or seven years. So I opted <laughs> right. for the uh, Sean Porter <laughs> Ray Flores and, and 50 Cent, who was, I'm not really sure what he contributed to the festivities other than promoting his brands of alcohol and such. But uh, he did he did have the decency, though, um, as soon as Evander Holyfield came down from the ring after getting knocked silly in a fight that he should not have been in, to then ask him when he was going to fight Mike Tyson to let's get that going. So uh. that, that was a nice classy touch. <laughs> Wow. All right. Sorry. So, so, so you brought up Holyfield and that's the, who I want to focus on here. I think it's safe to assume we all have enormous admiration for Evander and how great he was emphasis on the past tense was uh, as both a boxing writer and presumably something of a Holyfield fan. Did you have an emotional reaction to watching Evander flop around like that? Uh, guys, it was, you know, I try to emotionally detach myself from all of this as best as possible, but I understand what you mean because you know, Holyfield gave us so many incredible, memorable nights, and he, and he was one of the most courageous fighters any of us have ever seen. And he encapsulated it himself, I thought, best when he was asked by Todd Grissom after the fight, how would you sum up this entire experience? And he said, well, kind of sad. Yeah, mm. yeah, kind of sad. From beginning, during, and, and, so, and right through the very end. I mean, it didn't even last two minutes, but it was very sad to see, you know, he did not belong in there. He's going to be 59 years old next month, obviously guys. And um, 
you know, should not have been licensed to fight, whether it was against a 44 year old person or someone older. Uh, and that was very evident almost as soon as the fight started, his reaction times were very slow. Um, he, he, his physique is impressive. I mean, extremely impress- impressive for a 58 year old person. I mean, who has a six pack and I didn't have a six pack when I was eight years old, let alone 58 <laughs> years old, but this guy, I mean, he's, he looks like he's in phenomenal c- condition, but his reaction times were much slower. Um, he shouldn't have been fighting when he fought Brian Nielsen 10 years ago. And all the, he did win that fight by 10th round technical knockout, though that was probably more a reflection of Brian Nielsen than him. Um, but he shouldn't have been fighting then. So he certainly should not have been fighting last night. And I've said this on other uh, shows this week that I was on. It, I don't understand the point of it. Like what, what, okay. So yeah. Vitor Belfort beats him. So what? You beat up a guy who's, you know, seven years away from social security or what, or maybe a little longer than that now, based on how it's going, but um, he didn't belong in the ring. So, and then Belfort, not that we really care about his longevity in this sport, but afterward he was like, I told you, I come to knock people out. I mean, I, I wouldn't be bragging about this necessarily. I mean, you beat up a guy who has not right. fought in 10 years and is almost 60 years old. So of course, as it relates to Showtime's uh, business model here, he, he didn't waste but five seconds before he called out Jake Paul. So, and they have some supposed $30 million offer, which is kind of just a publicity stunt because we well know that he can't fight Jake Paul because Jake Paul has a multi-deal, multi-fight deal with Showtime Sports. And I would sincerely doubt that Showtime Sports is going to work in conjunction with Triller based on the way Triller has been going about their business. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe this is an obvious question. Oh, maybe it isn't. But do you think this whole experience would have been slightly less awful had it been the original planned event of Oscar de la Hoya instead of Evander and if it had been in LA instead of Florida? Yeah, I don't know necessarily that there would have been many more people there because they had a lot of difficulty selling tickets, which was, of course, kept under wraps. I mean, it had not sold well. So I think Mm -hmm. that maybe is a reflection that people are not as into this type of stuff as the Triller people might seem to think. And I think that's a positive for those of us who care about the health of the sport moving forward. Um, they had sold, look, I don't, I don't know for sure. I don't have a ticket manifest, but I was told that they had sold less than 2000 tickets uh, as of the week before Oscar De La Hoya withdrew from the event. Mm-hmm. Um, but to answer your original question, I, I, it would have been more competitive. I don't think Oscar De La Hoya would have gotten blown out in a, you know, less than two minutes and went down the first time he got hit. But I also don't think that Oscar De La Hoya uh, even at 48, as opposed to 58 should have been in the ring because look, he's lived a hard life. I mean, he, he's not an, yeah. a typical 48 year old. He's, you know, he's done a lot of damage to his body outside of boxing and hadn't fought in nearly 13 years. And, and as you guys well know, the last time he was in there 12 and a half years ago against Manny Pacquiao, yeah. he got dominated and, and understandably retired after that fight. Although he's been talking about fighting pretty much ever since then. And is still talking about fighting from uh, his bedroom and his hospital room and whatever. But I I don't know how much of a market there is to see him fight. Maybe he will have the fight against Belfort rescheduled, but um, I hope not. Yeah. All right. So so let's pull back a little bit and, and mm. just look at the whole state of uh, this sort of circus sport right now. It's always been some to some degree a circus, but I, the last year or so has seen things go to another level entirely. Mike Tyson, Roy Jones inspired a lot of it. Uh, now we have De La Hoya planning to fight, possibly still. Holyfield actually fighting and getting stopped inside two minutes. Lots of ancient boxer versus aging MMA fighter matchups. David Hay doing something resembling boxing against a friend of his over a drunken wager, possibly even the return of Riddick Bowe. And that's without even getting into uh, the Paul brothers. Uh, where do you think this is all headed, Keith? And any chance that the the bubble is bursting, or, or do you think we haven't reached the nadir of this yet? And I should ask, does boxing kind of deserve to be in this mess? Yes, because it's the completely uh, uncoordinated, unregulated mess that that we all have been involved in for quite some time. But uh, so I think that lends itself to some of these things happening, unfortunately. But I'll preface what I'm going to say, though, guys, in saying this. There is a market for this to some extent because people are buying it. So as mm-hmm. long as there is a market for it and there are a sizable amount of people willing to plunk down $50 to see 
Evander Holyfield or Oscar De La Hoya or Jake Paul or whomever, it's going to continue because as long as people can make money off it, as we well know, these things will continue to be scheduled. Um, And look, people are free to spend their money on whatever they want. But as people who cover the sport and who care about the, the overall health of the sport, while we want new fans, I don't see any real evidence so far that this is drawing new fans, whether it's Jake Paul who at least is a 24 year old guy and his brother's right. a 26 year old guy. Whereas these, these are people who have no business uh, fighting for, for a living here. But if there, if there is evidence, if we can quantify that, let's say a Jake Paul is bringing new fans to boxing because some of the people who came strictly to watch him stick around and, and continue to watch the sport to varying degrees. I'm not saying that people who watch the Jake Paul fights are then going to watch every show box or ESPN fight that but maybe they will watch boxing with some regularity. And I think we could all agree that we do need uh, new blood in terms of fans. We need younger fans. We need people who, um, who appreciate the sport who previously haven't watched it. I wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, but I would like to see the type of thing that, that uh, now look, I was paid to watch it, so I can't complain all that much. Right. But, um, but I would prefer for this not to be the case with any regularity here because last night was a disaster on so many levels. It was, look, I know none of us want to turn this into a political show, but at some point it became a, uh, a Trump rally. They had mm-hmm. Trump, Trump 2024 signs and he was making political statements. Now look, Ryan Kavanaugh and the Triller people can do whatever they want. It's their money. And the people who purchased it, you kind of get what you get because, and you deserve it because you willingly signed up for it. But, you know, we don't need political, we have enough problems in the sport. We don't need to turn what's already a divided country into a divided boxing fan base over political agendas or issues too. So that, that was, uh, that was a little much even for boxing. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. as Kieran and I were discussing it uh, before you came on the show, we both dragged it into the political realm a little bit already. So uh, so you can feel some relief in knowing uh, we've we've all gone uh, and made this podcast <laughs> yeah. slightly political. So be it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, look, in a reminder that boxing has its own, you know, arguably worse things to worry about. Uh, on Friday night, Oscar Valdez was allowed to fight and retain his title uh, despite testing positive for fentamine. Um is this just another sign that boxing is continuing to refuse to take PED use seriously? Or do you even buy his uh, excuse that it was all an honest mistake and it was all in the herbal tea, Governor, honest? Look, it's possible. Anything's possible, I suppose. But um, taking, and I've been quote unquote chastised by people uh, from top rank and elsewhere that Oscar Valdez said it came from herbal tea. So, well, I guess that's the end of it. <laughs> Oscar, Oscar Valdez said so. So I guess right. we should just all be quiet. I mean, no, that's not, obviously that's not the way this works. And, and I don't have, Oscar Valdez is a very nice guy. I mean, he's been uh, a great example for what boxing can be for impoverished people. Look where he came from. Uh, he's a Mexican immigrant. He's, he's now a multimillionaire and has, uh, has fought and, and behaved with honor throughout his career but he's but he still failed this test. So his A and B samples still came back positive for fentermine, and he should be uh, handled accordingly. I mean, he's not above it, nor is anyone else who's a nice person. Like, well, being a nice person has nothing to do with this. This is this sport is dirty, and PED use is an is an epidemic in boxing for and has been for a long time, and it is not being handled properly. The WBC at least they tried to do something at some point with this clean boxing program. And, and then they just ignore the test results. And then Mauricio Suleiman, who I also personally, I, I have no problem with Mauricio. He's a nice enough guy, but then he sort of condescendingly is telling people that, you know, you're wrong about this and, and we're on the right side of this. You're not, you're on the wrong side of history. I don't care how you spin it and how much of a long winded diatribe you go on. You're wrong. You implemented this program. He willingly signed up for the program and he failed this test. He should not, at the very least, should not have been allowed to defend a WBC title on Friday night. Now, you obviously, guys, they made the legal argument successfully and somewhat understandably because this is such a a regulated, an unregulated mess. It's regulated, but in the wrong way, I guess I should say, because there was the legal loophole that 
the all the tribal and state commissions that are part of the Association of Boxing Commissions adhere to WADA standards and not VADA standards. So they sort of had to license him, I guess. I mean, but that speaks to boxing's greater problem as it relates to PEDs. So I, I would have liked to have seen it go forward as a non-title fight if it was going to, if it had to go, if quote unquote had to go forward, go forward as a non-title fight. The other thing that I was told that, that really just uh, it made me laugh. I mean, how else could you take it? Um, because I criticized the WBC for taking their sanctioning fee. And it was pointed out to me that, well, they really didn't take their sanctioning fee. They took a donation from Oscar Valdez and then applied it to their clean boxing program. Look, again, this is wordplay. You took your percentage from Oscar Valdez's purse and however you allocated it from there doesn't really matter. You still took the percentage that you ordinarily take from his purse. So and what is the point of, of paying for this clean boxing program? Yeah. What are you continuing to fund it for? You're ignoring it. So who right. cares? Right. It, I, the whole thing, and guys, I know the, the Holyfield thing obviously uh, generated a lot of mainstream attention and rightfully so because he's so old. But as it relates to an actual boxing pro- problem, I think the thing on Friday night was maybe more egregious because this was a real fight. This was mm-hmm. a real tight. And I know Eric, how you feel, we all feel about the sanctioning bodies and everything, but this was a title <laughs> fight among a 30 year old world champion and a 32 year old contender who deserved better than to have to go into the ring against a guy who used a banned substance during his training camp. Now, Robson can say, Sal, what was he supposed to do? He, right. he comes from poverty. You know, the, the depths of poverty in Brazil, was he supposed to walk away from the biggest fight of his career and the biggest fight purse of his career? Uh, and stand on his moral high ground and walk away from that most yeah that's very easy to say from the outside looking in much harder to do if you're in his position yeah that's that's a great point about how the holyfield stuff we can chalk it up as well that's part of the sideshow valdez we can't that's this is part of like the hardcore boxing and it was so tainted and i guess i would just say that at least from conceição's point of view um, I think his stock went up with his performance, so he maybe it justified him going through with it in that regard too. But um, you know, there's so many things spinning spinning out of control, going in the wrong direction in boxing. Another one is is the COVID situation. Um, Teofimo Lopez, Tyson Fury, David Benavidez, Brandon Figueroa, Chocolatito Gonzalez, to name a recent few. More fights than ever are being postponed or canceled. Kieran and I discussed some thoughts and theories earlier in the show, but let's get your take. Why, after all this time, 18 months or so into the pandemic, is boxing so bad at this? Well, I think boxing is a microcosm of where we are in our country, right? There are a lot of people who don't believe in getting vaccinated, and a lot of them are, in this case, young professional athletes who are healthy and their physical primes and don't believe in getting vaccinated. And I've heard from a lot of boxers that they don't want to Uh, get vaccinated while they're in training camp. I don't know why you couldn't get vaccinated before your training camp starts, but that is an excuse that has been used by many of these guys. And the thing ultimately that it comes down to for them, that whatever you believe, whatever side of politics or vaccination that you're on, you're costing yourself enormous amounts of money by having these fights postponed. And if anything really resonates with people in general in any walk of life, it's their bottom line. And here, Brandon Figueroa was supposed to fight on Saturday night in, you know, one of the two biggest fights of his career. The Nary fight was obviously a huge fight as well. Um, but he was supposed to fight Stephen Fulton in a, in a, you know, a fight fans fight that people were, I think, were really real boxing fans are really looking forward to. To contrast of styles in the 122 pound division would have been an excellent fight. Stephen Fulton took all the precautions because he had been through this COVID situation when he withdrew from the Angelo Leo fight uh, 13 or 14 months ago. Um, so he he took all the precautions and, and I don't know what Brandon Figueroa was doing in his camp, but whatever it was, it did not work. Mm-hmm. And now this fight has been postponed as well. Um, so, again, if, if just look at it this way, if you're a boxer, you're not going to get paid six figures, in some cases, seven figures if you can't fight. So th- the flip side of it is, of course, guys, that people will tell you, uh, you know, you can be fully vaccinated and still contract COVID. And if that is the case, you're also not going to be allowed to fight. Um, But you have less of a chance of being hospitalized and being placed on a ventilator and all these things that we're unfortunately well aware of. Yeah. So boxing fans have have been taking it on the chin for so long 
uh, we've all collectively sort of become almost punchy, right? Just like standing on the ropes while we take yet more blows one after the other. But there was this brief shining moment recently when everybody snapped to attention with, with the accumulation of outrages surrounding the Gabriel Maestro, Michael Fox ridiculousness. Um, the WBA bore the brunt of it. Uh, the Association of Boxing Commissions even threatened to withdraw recognition if it didn't reduce the number of titles it sanctioned, which was, of course, just one small aspect of the problem surrounding all that fight. Um, there are some indications that the WBA is doing just that. Do you expect anything further, or is it your sense that this is going to be another case of every, people in boxing getting very annoyed with other people in boxing and then moving on? Well, I am glad that the ABC did something about this, and I'm not quite sure what took so long because they had there were divisions, guys, as you well know. They had four champions, and, and they weren't shy about adding champions in every division. It seemed that every time that there was a PBC fight, whether it was on Showtime or Fox, it was for some sort of WBA title. And the word interim by definition is not three years. You can't be the interim champion forever. And, and in these cases they were, and, and they're taking sanctions. They were taking sanctioning fees from at times four different fighters or, or eight fighters, if you include their opponents right. in the same division. And it's, it was criminal and it should not have been allowed to happen. But again, boxing is such a free for all that it, that, what are you going to do to a company that's based that is recognized, whether we like it or not, is recognized by the fighters, the promoters, and the television networks? And they're in a different country, and they're, they 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 it's completely unregulated. They just do whatever they want, unless you start to ignore them. And and I've been asked this just as an aside. I've been asked this by people with within the journal within our media business and outside of our media business. Well, why don't you just ignore it? Well, I would like to ignore it. But my job is to present the facts. So if they're fighting for the WBA, super interim, whatever nonsense <laughs> that they create, I'm obligated to put it in this. That's my job. I mean, if I start selectively leaving facts out of the story, well, that's not really my position in a news story anyway. You know, you can write a column, of course, and express your opinion, which I, I'm not shy about doing, but um, you know, I, I just think that, you know, you if they're fighting for the WBA title, you got to write it and, and hopefully at least maybe the, w, the ABC doing this to the WBA will keep them in check for, for some for some time here and, and will prevent them from trying to do because they're not going to go back to, to uh, sanctioning interim titles and things after this uproar. There were a lot of other things wrong with that, with the Maestre uh, Michael Fox fight. I mean, including the selection of the judges, having a weak commission in Minnesota that allowed them to use the judges that they did that were, you know, you go to the, you go to Nevada, Nevada doesn't say, Oh, well, the WBA said so-and-so is supposed to be the judge. They're like, you know, no, we're going to have a hearing and we're going to approve the judges. And, you know, you can take issue with that if you want, but we're not allowing some sanctioning organization from Panama to tell us what's going to be happening in our state where we regulate boxing. And that, and that's the difference between that type of commission, Nevada, California has a strong commission, New Jersey has a strong, you know, a strong one. There are others that, that do. And then there are weaker ones that kind of just allow whatever just to drum up the business. Okay, Keith. Uh, well, one last question leaning into the misery porn before, before we try to end on some more upbeat notes. I swear <laughs> we have a couple of upbeat notes to end on, but um, between that horrible Maestre Fox sham between the YouTuber and exhibition trends between evidence in many case of a lack of care for boxers, which is how we wound up with Jeanette Zapata dying at just 18 years of age, the sanctioning bodies, COVID, et cetera, et cetera. Are you finding yourself personally tested in terms of your willingness to cover this sport, to be a part of this sport and this business? I think you're always uh, walking the tightrope of morality and, uh, adulthood so to speak because look we have jobs and and my my contract obligates me to do certain things i'll say this if i if i if i didn't do all of the things that my job requires me to do i wouldn't do a whole lot probably right because, <laughs> because it requires a lot of travel and such and, and and but yeah you wrestle with things uh but i think being this is if this is what you've chosen in my case what you've chosen to do for a living i think you can try your best to make an impact by pointing out what's wrong with the sport. Now, mm -hmm. I don't have any control over anything. So, you know, you can, you can make your opinion known uh, as much as you want and beat drums related to certain topics, however loudly you would like to do it. Uh, and you hope that you're having some sort of impact by at least 
holding people accountable that need to be held accountable. And it, it doesn't work most times in this sport because again, it's an, it's a free for all. It's the wild, wild West, as we always say. And while that makes it more interesting to write about and to discuss on podcasts and everything, it's not great for the health of the sport. It's terrible for the health of the sport. And it's why the sport is in the niche status that it is now and will remain such forever. I mean, the loyal, the fan base is loyal and the fan base is passionate and that fan base, however dwindling it may be, will exist in the long term, I think, because ultimately I think people like to watch people beat each other up. I mean, and, and, and the stories in this sport are much more captivating the backstories of these fighters to me. And I think to most people than golfers or tennis players or what other niche sports, I mean, golf is a big sport, I guess, but you know, people who come from privilege and wealth becoming wealthier and more privileged. I, I don't, if that interests you, congratulations, but I, I don't really see the, you know, I, I'm not intrigued by that, I guess is what I'm saying, but, but I do, I do enjoy covering the sport, I guess, to, to circle back to what you originally asked me, but I do find myself sometimes just like in quiet moments and, you know, not that I'm holier than now or anything, anything like that, but you just say, what, what, like last night's a good example. Mm-hmm. I went to bed last night. What am I involved in here? Like, what, what is this? I mean, I, thankfully I did not have to travel to Florida and my job requires a lot of traveling, but so I did, I did, I looked at it that way. Well, you didn't have to go. I guess that, you know, that wasn't my editor did not see it as something that we needed to, to attend. Um, but beyond that, it was, you know, it could, and, and you know, people, the people, you know, who know you cover you know, your friends and your family and everything. Like, what is going on in, in boxing, dude? It's like, well, <laughs> you don't have a real, you don't have a good explanation for it. Not that they're expected, not that they're holding me accountable for it, but you don't right. have a good explanation. Yeah. I mean, I think, <clears throat> I think a lot of people in the boxing media eventually have their Howard Cosell moment. Um, but of course it's easier when you're, when you're rich like Howard Cosell and you don't right. need the money and you're near retirement age anyway. And I think that probably applies in some regard to, to the Jim Lampley situation this past sure. week. Um, I'll freely admit my income from boxing, it's not my full-time income, but my income is important to me. It makes a difference in my life. And, and I also do, for the most part, usually enjoy talking about boxing. And I feel like we're just in a particularly rough patch right now. But yeah. I mean, I guess you have to have moments where you wonder if your personal tipping point could be coming soon, right? I, I don't know if like this moment we're in has you inching any closer toward questioning what you're doing than than normal. But I'm finding myself a little more thinking about a eventual exit strategy, I guess, than yeah. than I have <laughs> really ever since I've been covering the sport. No, it's completely understandable, Eric. But what I would say, like, like I mentioned earlier, I think I can do more good in, in covering boxing than not covering it. And you know. If you're paid, like you said, it's a substantial portion of your income. If you're paid well to do it and you have a guaranteed contract, you know, I'm fortunate. And I look at it on the flip side as well. I'm fortunate in the sense that there are not many people in the world who who have a full time job covering boxing. I'm one of the few and I'm thankful for that. Um, And and again, I think I can do some good maybe by pointing out the ills of the sport and maybe trying to hold people accountable but I think no matter what you do for a living, and, and believe me, covering boxing is in, in no way an important vocation. I'm not trying to make it that. Uh, but you always feel like you can be doing something more for the good of the world, particularly as it relates to where we are in this divided country now. You feel like you could be doing something else to, to benefit people and everything. Uh, you might not know necessarily what that is, but if you can do some charitable work or whatever to kind of make you feel like you're you're contributing to society more than complaining about Evander Holyfield fighting on Saturday night or Bob Arum allowing the Oscar Valdez fight to go forward. And I'm not demeaning the importance of those issues, but there are more important things in the world than that. Um, so, so I guess to answer your question in a kind of a long winded way that I just did there. Um, yes, you do start to, now I'm, I'm not in any way saying that I'm thinking of quitting my job over this because right. I, one thing, if I could guys, cause this came up on Friday night, I, tweeted something about commending Timothy Bradley for coming on the air. Uh, And I don't always agree with what Tim says, but I really appreciate his honesty, especially in this case, because he came on, he's contracted by ESPN to broadcast boxing. 
he went on an ESPN plus broadcast and said, this should not be happening. And for the people who on Twitter and elsewhere, not that we should be listening to people on Twitter, but <laughs> especially unidentified people. Um, but if you think it's easy to be paid by a company and then go on air and criticize and affect that company that's, that's paying you. Now, Tim Bradley has a lot of money, I would assume, but, but this is his job now. He's not fighting anymore. This is his, hopefully for him, his long-term job. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't shy about going on there and criticizing what ESPN and Top Rank were doing. So I gave him credit for that. And, and, and people were saying, well, then he should, just, uh, he, he should just refuse the assignment. That's not the way professional contracts work. And that's not the way adults generally behave. I mean, you could take the moral high ground and walk away, but you would be risking quitting. And I think Tim Bradley probably looks at it the way that I do in the sense that he has a huge platform. He's a well-known former fighter and he can do more more good by speaking out about what's wrong with boxing than quitting his job. Because what is, what good is that going to do? Um, As promised, let's do a, Pivot to positivity to close this out. Oh. Um, and you and you touched on this. There's 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 one thing that brings us back to the sport that keeps us there, and it is the fighters. Um, and in the midst of all this nonsense, we've got a pretty good crop of good young guys coming through. We got guys like Javante Davis, who's already established as, as a fairly major star. We've got Ryan Garcia, we've got some Virgil Ortiz and Boots Ennis, just look phenomenal welterweight prospects slash contenders. Uh who do you really have your eye on perhaps some of the ones I've mentioned, ones that people know about, maybe people, some that people don't, who you are looking forward to covering, who are the kind of guys or women who you think, yeah, this is why I want to stay in boxing and this is why I want to cover these guys. Well, you mentioned Jerron Ennis and uh, he's a Philly guy. So I know Eric is, is excited about him as well. Um, but Boots is a really, really talented guy. I mean, he's a, a nice, humble kid as far as I can tell. Uh, extremely talented. The problem that they're having uh, now is getting people to fight him, getting, you know, top welterweights to fight him for reasonable amounts of money. Thomas Delorme has accepted that challenge for sometime late in October here on Showtime. He he is probably more than anyone else is the one that I'm really excited to see against top level welterweights who are in their prime, but those fights have not been made so far and are going to be difficult to make. Uh, for a variety of reasons, first and foremost, his ability. Um, and the other being that he's not affiliated with PBC. And I don't think that they're, even though he has fought on Showtime many times here, the fact that he's a PB, not a PBC fighter is going to make it difficult to get him in the ring with some elite welterweights. And PBC has most of those established welterweights um, under either advisory agreements with Al Heyman or contracts or whatever. Um, and, and I don't think that Terrence Crawford in his position, he's going to be 34 years old soon. I don't think he's going to be in a hurry uh, to fight Jerron Ennis either. Not saying that he couldn't beat him because I still think Crawford still has some of his physical prime left, uh, but I don't think we'll see that fight anytime soon either. Uh, you know, Javante Davis is another one I've enjoyed watching. I would like to see Javante Davis um, fight some of these young lightweights as contemporaries in the lightweight division. Now it's not all on him that these fights haven't happened, but it's, maybe to some degree is, uh, but I, you know, you want to see him fight Ryan Garcia or you want to see him fight Tiafimo Lopez before Lopez moves up to the junior welterweight division. Um, you want Devin Haney is another, another guy that we'd like to see him fight. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of young guys, young up and coming guys that'll keep, pe- that'll keep people interested in boxing. And the, the problem with some of these guys is either the careful matchmaking among their promoters uh, or the fact that guy, you know, legitimate guys don't want to fight them, but that's always been a problem in boxing and, and always will be because it's a business and you know, you weigh the risk and reward. And sometimes you get the fights that you want. And as we well know, oftentimes you don't. Yeah. All right. Well, last thing, let's, let's hit on a couple of big fights that are knock wood uh, still on the schedule. Um, first, do you, do you have any news about Canelo versus plant uh, what the venue will be? And uh, most importantly to us, whether by chance showtime will be carrying the pay-per-view. Have you heard anything yet? Uh, no, but it ha- has. I have heard that it's a possibility um, in terms of Showtime being the distributor of the fight. Uh, I don't have any concrete information as it relates to that, but um, I don't think it matters to to us. Uh, it matters to to you guys doing the Showtime bro- uh, broadcast. And look, right. boxing scene is owned by Viacom CBS. Showtime is owned by Viacom CBS. So not that it dramatically impacts our bottom line, in, in, on, you know, in that week or anything, but it's it would be good for Showtime if Showtime is the distributor of that fight right. as opposed to Fox, because 
of course, there, there was a lot of drama there when Fox uh, entered the boxing business. But um, but I think Showtime still has at least a chance to uh, distribute the fight, which is why it hasn't been officially announced as a Fox fight, despite Caleb Plant saying that he's a Fox fighter, quote unquote, and that this will be a Fox fight that has not been officially announced. So that's uh, still a possibility, at least. Okay. And then last one quickly is uh, we also have Fury Wilder three on the schedule for now. Hearing anything encouraging or discouraging out of either the Fury camp or the Wilder camp? Uh, No, it's pretty much been quiet because Deontay Wilder does not want to do, and it's his prerogative to do what he wants, but you are trying to sell a pay-per-view fight and saying that you're not going to talk to anyone is not really a great strategy. Uh, particularly when the rematch was promoted as well as it possibly could have. I mean, it was all over the place. There was marketing during the Super Bowl for that fight. I mean, when has that ever happened? And it still failed commercially, unfortunately. I mean, it did somewhere between 800 and 850,000 buys, which is great in today's uh, boxing environment, but not great in terms of the amount of money they spent to promote the fight and the amount of money that they paid the fighters. Uh, I think this also could be a... uh, a financial failure, so to speak, October 9th, which is why they were so hell bent, Bob Arum and, and Eddie Hearn, who wasn't involved in either of these fights. But that's why they were so hell bent on making the Tyson Fury Anthony Joshua fight. They know that this Tyson Fury uh, Deontay Wilder third fight is not going to make money because they've committed uh, purses that are not commensurate to what the market value for the fight is, despite that they sold almost $17 million in tickets for the rematch. Um, but it is the, the best fight on the box plant Canelo aside, it's the best fight on the boxing calendar right now. And, and there is drama and there is intrigue in this fight, despite what happened in their second fight, Tyson Fury destroyed Deontay Wilder going into that fight. But now you have a motivated Deontay Wilder who remains the most pulverizing puncher in boxing against a guy he had dropped multiple times in their first fight, um, more motivated than ever against Tyson Fury, who might not be as motivated as he once was because, Mm. well, there's certainly evidence of that by some of his behavior over the last year or so. So, and and of course there's the, I don't know, the uh, deflation of Tyson Fury, so to speak, because he thought he was fighting Anthony Joshua and what were, even though it would not have taken place in England was, would have been an enormous event and he would have made a lot more money, even more money than he's making to fight Deontay Wilder. So I'm sure he's gotten over that to some degree by now, but you know, you go from fighting this, this domestic epic showdown to fighting a guy in his opinion that he's already beaten twice and dominated in their second fight. So how motivated is he going into the third fight? That could certainly be a factor. And again, I, I can't, the people who say that Deontay Wilder has no chance. Well, I don't, I don't know how much they've watched Deontay Wilder, but there've been fights when he, you know, he, he lost almost every second of every round of his rematch against Luis Ortiz and then boom, it's over. So, yeah. you know, he, yeah. he's still, he's still a threat right up until the, the very end of a fight. Yeah. Uh, Keith, thanks so very much for joining us. We promise next time we have you on, it'll be much more fun and we'll talk about much more enjoyable topics. Like hey, well, we'll do a review of that colonoscopy that you're going to have scheduled. Stop, stop, stop. <laughs> it's already on the schedule okay uh many thanks there indeed for keith for uh to keith for joining us uh that was great stuff and some really great in-depth and uh thought through answers there from him uh and also uh as some of you may have heard uh in the background thank you on this end to alfie the cat for trying to contribute to the discussion (laughs) periodically i don't know if you caught that but i I heard i heard one meow at one point but it was it it wasn't it wasn't too loud it was uh didn't 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 ruin the recording by any stretch if anything maybe maybe alfie added a little something well, that's certainly what Alfie would feel about it. But anyway, um, we'll, we might do things logistically a little different next week. All right. Time for this week's top five challenge. Uh, but before we get started, I actually want to get some very good listener responses we had to last week's top five list when I listed uh, some iconic trainer fighter partnerships. Um, we had a, a few comments on Twitter at Benny Broker noted, uh, great top five again in the last episode with so much fun to listen to. I would add Juan Manuel Marquez and Nacho Berestein to the honorable mentions, which I think was a very, very good call, actually. Mm-hmm. Should have definitely put them in there. Uh, at JLR Pro added, love all the lists. Kira Mulvaney did a great job with the fighter trainer combos. Only one I might add is Enzo and Joe Calzaghi. Very good suggestion indeed. As he went on, undefeated career, father, son, and Enzo's backstory, all great elements of that story. And a factual correction from Ted Harmond, at Harmond uh, underscore Ted, 
who points out that notwithstanding the throwaway comment I made to about the number five couple on my list, uh, James Kirkland never lost with Anne Wolfe in his corner. I had a brain freeze. I thought she'd been with him for his uh, Ishida loss, but he had, in fact, just gotten out of jail and hooked up with Kenny Adams for that mm. one. So thank you, Ted, for uh, pointing out my error there. Yeah, some interesting uh, additions there, and I'll just say, in our, in our defense, I don't think anyone pointed out anyone that should have been in the top five, but those were they, they, they were worthy of uh, possible uh, honorable mention. So good suggestions. We always like to get those after our lists. Yeah. All right, time for this week's challenge to you, Eric. It's an easy one, and basically you, it's you a You always say that. Well, this time it's true. <laughs> and it's a total palate cleanser. We have okay. talked to you, and I, in this podcast, you... Keith and I have talked about how horrid it was to see Evander Holyfield and how embarrassing stumbling around the ring for fortunately just a couple of minutes on Saturday night. Let us get that image out of our head as swiftly, as completely as we can. Let us not remember Evander Holyfield, what we saw on, on Saturday night. Let's recall him instead as the fearless warrior he was in his pomp. Your challenge, which may be the easiest either of us has set for the other, is this. For those young'uns, only know Holyfield for his late career fade and for what happened on Saturday night, who only know him for Brian Nielsen and John Ruiz and all these things, pick the top five fights to remind us why Evander Holyfield is not only a Hall of Famer, but an all-time great. That is it. There are no other restrictions at all. It is a free hit. He doesn't even have to have won these fights. As long as they were important, dramatic, exciting fights that he was in, Top five Evander Holyfield nights, free hit. There you go. Love it. Love it. Uh, I don't know that it's easier than the Kodo assignment I gave you, but it's certainly on par with that. Uh, so uh, yes. uh, the, the difference being that you have all of Kodo's fights absolutely memorized and thus had to do no research. <laughs> Tattooed whereas... of various parts of my body. <laughs> exactly. So whereas I'll have to at least open up BoxRec to make sure I'm not missing anything with a, with Evander. But yeah, this should be a fun one, a much needed palate cleanser indeed. And uh, I'm already, uh, the wheels are already in motion. I'm thinking exactly. about one fight he didn't win that might make the list and so forth. Yep. So, uh, okay, this should be a good one. I look forward to this. All right. That will do it for another super happy fun time edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. Thanks again to Keith Eideck for joining us. Uh, we will be back next week with a hopefully more upbeat episode. Until then, thanks so much for listening. Be safe, be kind, and be well. <laughs>